You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Does it still make sense to buy investment property today when mortgage rates are close to 7%, especially when we think they might be coming down this fall? Is it better to wait? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. I'm so excited to hear from our guest today. He is one of our preferred lenders at Real Wealth, Graham Parham, and his business partner, Aaron Stelly of Highlands, are joining us today to give us some insight on the lending world and what's going out there. It's been a little crazy. Aaron and Graham, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kathy. We're excited. Well, you know, what's very exciting or not is the mortgage world these days. Uh, I can't even imagine being a mortgage broker right now. It's a it's been a tough business. What what are you seeing out there in terms of demand? Well, let's just talk about the mortgage loan officers. Uh, it, it's not as bad as it was after '08, but we are seeing some exiting of the playing field. I think between now and year, we're going to see probably another thirty percent leave the playing field. Uh, this business is like any other business, uh, like the real estate business, the old eighty twenty rule. It's really a 95-5 rule. So some of the 95 players are starting to leave the playing field, which, in my opinion, leaves more for us to play with, right? But uh, it's been challenging. I think the the smart individuals are hanging in there and doing all the right things. But, uh, yeah, I, I think we're all optimistic, hoping that this thing will turn around pretty soon. We did get some recent uh, CPI numbers, which Aaron's going to share about here in just a moment. But uh, I think, you know, 24 and 25 is going to be good years for us. I really do. So if, if mortgage brokers can hang on another year, you'll be back in business. Uh, exactly. A lot of people, a lot of people ask me if if we're in a recession, and I say absolutely not at this time with so many job openings. But if you're in a particular in, industry, it sure may feel like you're in a recession. I would say mortgage brokers certainly are in that category, along with real estate agents, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to echo on that point, it's crazy to think that we're already in quarter three of 2023 now. And while, uh, you know, in the mortgage rate world, it has been a, a brutal year, year and a half compared to what we've been spoiled with in, in years, uh, you know, prior to that. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, as Graham touched on, which we'll dive into a little bit further here, we've, uh, you know, been hanging on these data points month to month, got some promising CPI data and inflation data just this morning, which is great to see. Uh, so kind of, you know, you'll notice our overlying message throughout this podcast is it's been tough. We're not out of the weeds yet. There's still a little bit of ways to go, uh, but things seem to be trending in the right direction as far as, as what the Fed is looking for specifically. Yeah, for sure. And inflation is trending down. I think a lot of people, I see even experts in the industry still so completely confused about the Fed fund rate versus mortgage rates. And and you see reporters reporting incorrectly on this. People say, oh, the Fed's going to raise rates again. Mortgages are going up again. And that couldn't be, I, I see you both going, shaking your heads. So what is the difference between the Fed fund rate and the headlines we see with Jerome Powell raising rates, probably another quarter percent in July, versus what you guys do, which is giving home loans to people and investor loans to investors? 
Yeah, and, and that's such a great question, Kathy, and one that we love to educate uh, our viewers and borrowers on because it is very confusing, especially if you just uh, you know want to open your internet browser or phone and scroll to the news and maybe just get the latest highlights of the day. Uh, all you'll see is you know Fed hikes rates again. Well, what does that mean? So. The Fed funds rate is the overnight borrowing for the big banks. It does impact things like mortgage rates, auto loans, credit card rates. It impacts all of that. But the, the Fed funds rate, which is right now uh, after the upcoming hike that we're probably going to have next week, we'll dive into that in a second. We're around uh, you know five and a quarter to five and a half is is going to be ultimately their kind of target threshold. Well, we all know mortgage rates are not in the five percent. We would we would love that mortgage rates are, are much higher. Uh, currently, you know, bouncing around that six and a half to seven percent range, uh, and of course, investment you know oftentimes a little higher. But the thing to understand ultimately, big picture wise, about the Fed funds rate is. The Fed is ultimately raising that uh, last month broke the first time, I think, in 11 straight times they didn't hike it, which which was great to see. Uh, but they're ultimately trying to curb inflation, which will eventually bring everything else down under control. One of the closest things we follow in the mortgage world is the inflation data because uh any kind of time frame you look back at, five-year, 10-year, 20-year chunk, mortgage rates closely follow these inflation rates. There is a lagging effect because there is a, a reactionary time, but these mortgage rates are following the inflation. So what the Fed is trying to do when they read this when they raise this Fed funds rate, the overnight borrowing for these banks, they make all that money tighter, a little more expensive. They're trying to cool down inflation which is working, and then eventually that's going to bring down mortgage rates. Kind of diving in, into inflation is kind of a good point, good time to transition into that. But the, the, all these hikes, they're working. Uh, last June, the headline inflation, we were right at 9%. They revised that to, I think, 8.9%, but we were right at 9%. And as of actually this morning, that headline is down to 3%. So we've knocked off 6% in about 11, 12 months time, which is great. They were expecting 3.1 today. We got 3%, so even better than expected. But uh, you know, not to go on too long of a diatribe, but the whole key with the Fed funds rate, the, the thing you need to know is they're raising that to try to cool down inflation. Once inflation cools down to where they're satisfied, mortgage rates, your other costs of, of living are, are going to follow that as well. Kathy, I think we try to, we're all optimistic about hoping that we can somewhat hit that recession wall, if you will, to have the rates come back down. And we were all, <laughs> for the last year or so, we were saying, we think we're going to hit around third or fourth quarter. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it's going to hit a little bit later than that. It's probably going to hit around first quarter, in my opinion. But what is your, what is your take on that? Oh, I guess I should just give up guessing and projecting at this point. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I would I would like to think that we would see mortgage rates come down a bit this fall because I think the next few months we're going to see and continued, you know, uh, declines in inflation. It's been trending down consistently, like you said. So in my opinion, I like to hold on to the hope that we'll see mortgage rates come down this fall, but we shouldn't count on it, right? Yes, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. And, and real quick, while we kind of, uh, you know, are touching on that, I, I spoke of the headline, the, the 
one of the bigger uh, aspects of the whole inflation picture that that is followed closely is more importantly the the core CPI. So what that does is it strips out food and energy, which are a little more volatile. And the core, uh, while the headline has come down nicely, the core has come down, but it's been a, a little more stubborn. And that's really, really what the Fed has honed in on. And this morning, actually, we finally, it seems like over the past couple of months, we'll get a good headline CPI number, but the core won't be, you know, what we expected, maybe a little higher. So then when the Fed goes to their meetings, they say, oh, we got this news, but this bad news. So we're just going to do more of the same or, or just wait. This morning, uh, the core, which was at 5.33, they were expecting it, forecasting it to be 5%. And it actually came in even lower than that at 4.8%. So it's the first time in a little while where we've gotten such favorable uh, inflation reports as far as the headline and the core that a lot of us in the industry, at least today, we've got some extra added optimism. And uh, and finally, you know, we're not getting over over up. It's not going to be an overnight change, but we're finally seeing uh, some good data points that that are helping out, which is great to see. Yeah, it's still double what the Fed wants, unfortunately. And I don't see, honestly, I don't know how they're going to get to 2% because they're doing averaging, right? Averaging over the past year. And past the past year has been far above 2%. So it can't get there um, anytime soon with using the methodology that they use. So hopefully someone in the Fed looks at that and says, there's no way we can get down to 2% unless we get below it. Um, on the month, right? Month over month. I think everybody in the industry would agree with you wholeheartedly. That 2% is, is, is a, is a stretch. And I think coming down to three is, is it's, we're, we're hitting a, a nice landing spot. And while we can't just, you know, stay between two and a half and three, I don't know, but they're hard pressed on saying we want two regardless. And so that's kind of the attitude. Which means exactly. they have to take the, econ the inflation down to almost deflation, it seems like, to get there, um, to average it out. So um, I'll try to get Jerome Powell on the show, and we'll have a little discussion about it. Okay, how's that? Nice. Right? <laughs> Let's open up questions for that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, seriously, uh, I, I can actually get somebody that's been working for the Fed, if that helps, but uh, probably doesn't. Uh, I think what our audience wants to know is what are rates now and what can they expect? Should they be buying now? Are we stuck here? Or, you know, if it's if rates are going to come down this this fall, should they wait? Um, I know we, we our crystal balls are all super broken right now. But what are you already said? You don't think that you're going to see rates come down this fall? We actually haven't seen, I mean, sure, we all slowed down in the last 12 months, but in the last couple of months, it's been pretty steady for us. I think people are recognizing that they shouldn't sit on the guy, our sidelines simply because the opportunities out there are still better. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of the sellers are starting to help out with some of the concessions about buying rates down. Uh, yes, people recognize that it's an investment even though they're dealing with a little bit slimmer cash flow margins, but the asset itself is something that they recognize long-term because the rates are going to go up. Excuse me, the, the rents are going to go up and the rates will go down. And so one of the things we're doing as a company, we recognize that and we're going to allow for anything that's funded this year with any of our clients, we will give them a three-year guarantee that if in, between now and three years from now, you come back to us and we'll refinance you back to a palatable rate. And we won't charge you any closing costs. So we're with you there. We also have a float down provision 
that if for any reason you lock in a rate today and let's just say the fourth quarter, it does come back down. If it floats down or if the rate comes down to a quarter percent, we'll let you float down. We won't charge any and we won't charge you to do that. So we're there to help you with it. Now, as far as rates are concerned, the, the problem that exists is Wall Street. Wall Street back 17, 18 and 19, they were originating these loans and they were paying a premium for the uh, these mortgage backed securities. And for layman's terms, let's just say they were paying six points, okay? The lender themselves, let's just say the average lender, they have to cover their operating expenses, processing, underwriting, closing, and so forth, they have to sell the loans for 4%. At the time before COVID, and even during COVID, they were paying you know close to 6%. And the reason being is because they would allow for premium pricing. Okay, premium pricing is above par rate, which means we can give you a credit back for closing costs. Well, right now, because the feds recognize that we are going to hit the recession wall, whether it be third, fourth, first quarter, whatever, that once that happens, the rates will come back down. And all the people that secure loans during this time period, the last 12 to 18 months, they're going to want to refinance their loans because their rates are higher. So that means that the uh, the boys on Wall Street, they're going to experience a thing called early payoff, and they don't like that. They like to keep these uh, loans on their books for three to five years so they can make some money. Since they got stung during COVID, they don't want to get stung during this recessionary period. So they're only paying like two and a half points now for a loan, and we, they still have to, you know, the mortgage originators still have to sell those loans for four. Well, who makes up the difference? The consumer which is unfortunate. And people ask me all the time, why can't I get par rates? Well, the reason being is because because of simply what I just said. So they're not juicing those margins like they were prior to that. So that's why, you know, sometimes like today, you know, I can do maybe a seven and a half at one, but if I, that's on a 25%, but on 20%, I'm gonna have to pay another couple of points, which is crazy. We haven't seen the par rates on 20% in probably at least 12 or 18 months. But we still can get pretty close on the 75 percenters. Uh, but that's really where we're, we're headed right now. We're, we're clearly in the sevens. If you want to buy the rate down, you may do so. Some of the seller concessions will allow you to do just that. I had a guy just yesterday bought it down three points. He's paying quite a bit of money to do just that. And I tried to explain to him, you know, the rates will come back down, come back. We'll refinance you. But he's insisted on having that immediate cash flow. And that's where some of your uh, uh, uh representatives at your firm can convince these people that's not really the most prudent way of going about it. That yeah, help? I'm not, I, I mean, I like paying down points when someone else is doing it for me. <laughs> so exactly. Um, one of the reasons why uh, new home builders sales are up 20% when existing home sales are down 20% is that builders, they're selling a commodity. They're in the business of selling homes and they know that to do that, they need to buy down rates for their customers. We're, we're closing on a, on a property brand, a brand new duplex that with a rate under 5% because the, the builder is paying those points. So I'll do it all day long if I'm not paying for it. Um, and, and people should really look at negotiating for that. If, if, if a property has been on the market for a while, you know, that's one way to get it done. Uh, but yeah, if otherwise, if you're paying it, I think, you know, you, you probably know my background is I started this business as a mortgage broker and, um, I just, I just, don't like paying points. I just, I, I, the payment is not that different. You guys tell me, but on a investment property, say a $200,000 investment property, or let's say 300,000. Now the prices are up. What, what's the real difference there? 
in, I just, in payments. I just happen to have some information on that for you. Why did I know you would? <laughs> <laughs> well, like today, and I actually misquoted, so on that, we could do it actually a 7.375 so versus 7.5 at 1. But if you want to buy it down, you can buy it down to 6. Uh, looks like 6.875. So let me explain in layman's terms when to pay points and when not to pay points. In a normal market, which we had before COVID, even during COVID, a normal spread between one point buy-in is normally a quarter per percent. When you look at that on paper, that's a 5.11 year return. I don't necessarily like that. I'd rather see three to five years. But if you take these numbers today, jumping from 7.375 to 6.875, that's under two year return. So that point reduction actually makes sense. It's all math. So when you're locking with the points, whether it be with us or another lender, talk about where the variables are. And if it makes sense, buy the point. If it doesn't, don't. But today, even with all the craziness going on, the margins are spread so wide, it actually does make sense to pay points. Yeah. Yeah. And it all, just to kind of go further uh, into your point, Kathy, it all, you know, you're talking 200 grand loan and, and it's so easy to get obsessed on rate and you, you oh, I can't stomach a seven and a half. I want to pay those, you know, maybe two more points to get 7%. It's like, really, you want to pay, uh, you know, four grand to, to get your payment down 40, 50 bucks a month. And, you know, sometimes it, it does make sense. We walk through that break even with every single one of our clients. And and one benefit we're seeing, which Graham kind of echoed on right there, and, uh, you know, typically in normal market, one point is going to get you a quarter percent in rate. And the market's been so volatile over the past several months, really all of 2023, that sometimes that one point is getting you uh, a half percent in rate, maybe even a little bit more. So, that changes every day. Uh, and that doesn't by any means make, you know, automatically mean, oh yeah, buy points, you're getting more bang for your bunks today. It all depends on the borrower themselves. Do you see yourself holding this loan for maybe two or three years, probably refinance out of it when rate turns around? Or are you happy with this 7%, seven and a quarter and, you know, on your way building your portfolio, not going to look back? Then it might make sense to to buy down those points because you'll have a little, uh, you'll have a much longer holding time with that loan in place. Well, let, let's just take an example. You said that the payment difference might be forty dollars, about. About yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so, so let's mm-hmm. yeah. So let me let me give an example then. That after a year, that's five hundred. Am I getting that five hundred dollar difference in payment? But because the market is what it is, you could negotiate $5,000 discount on the house or more. I mean, you know, if a house has been on the market for a while, like it just, you've got to look at the big picture. And so many people don't. They say, I'm in it for the cash flow, and this cash flow is $300 a month, and I can't afford $60 of that $300 cash flow to go to this payment. I'm not that kind of buyer. I look at the property and I say, how is this going to perform for me when I need it to? And when I need it to is not really today. It's it's when, I, when I'm done working. I kind of love my job and, and I'm going to do it for a while. So I don't need the cash, but I you know, there's going to be a time when I just want to be grandma and just be with the kids. Maybe. Maybe I'll get real tired of them too. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but it in... <laughs> and grandkids, if you're listening, I'll never get tired of you. So we'll just delete that. <laughs> but I might want to go on a, on a vacation around the world or something when I'm retired. Then that's when you want to make sure you've got a portfolio of of properties that are paying for you, that are 
covering your expenses. And that can happen in 10 years, 12 years, as you've paid down the loan and maybe taken the cash flow and, and the rents have gone up, but you've taken cash flow and paid down the loan even faster. I mean, I'm looking in the future. How much is this property going to be worth in 10 years? How much is, are the rents going to be in 10 years? How much have I paid down my mortgage? How many tax deductions have I gotten and uh, money I could keep? in my bank account to invest rather than give to uncle Sam. Those are the questions people should be asking. Not how can I save $40 a month? Exactly. Uh, and I, I, I'm 100% agreement with that. Uh, and a good example is I bought several properties, say six, seven years ago in the Texas market. And because we've been experiencing some unordinary, uh, appreciations in Texas, I took advantage of it because I built up a lot of appreciation. So I did a lot of 1031 exchanges. So even if you don't get that cash flow now, you will eventually, or you can exchange out whatever your exit strategy is. But for me, I, I mean, I've got several loans that are in the sevens right now because I purchase, but I know for a fact, I will refinance and get those cash flows in order. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's just, to me, this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime. That's why we, yeah. I mean, tell me what you guys are seeing. What are you seeing investors do? I love talking to mortgage brokers because you have the inside scoop on what the savvy investors are doing. The savvy, well, you got to separate the savvy from the novice, okay? The novice okay. are scared and they, yeah. they want to have that cash flow and they want that appreciation. You know, they want that A property with the C returns. You know, they, they, they want everything. So we have to explain to them what's realistic today which versus what's realistic tomorrow. I don't think it's slowed down the, the accredited type of uh, uh, investor that's currently owning inventory. They just want to continue to add to their portfolio. We haven't really seen that part, that segment slow down. Yeah, every now and then we'll get some novice that, that, that hasn't dipped their toe in the water with an investment property yet, and they're a little nervous. But eventually they'll come around and recognize what we're telling them. So I, we really haven't seen a real slowdown in the, in the, in the, in the production at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I'd uh, I'd also say, you know, it, and again, each borrower is going to be different. Whether you know, I'm, I'm talking down payment here. Uh, we, it seems like a lot of our borrowers on purchase transactions are generally leaning towards that 25 percent down, uh, just because. Uh, to put it simply, you're probably going to save about you know a point and a half, two points going that way, just because those margins, like we were talking about, on the twenty percent are so skinny. Of course, some borrowers would rather save that five percent for for the next property down the road. But we're seeing a lot of our borrowers, uh, uh, you know, tend to lean towards that twenty five percent, which. At the same time, has kind of always been the case as well, because you've always been able to carve out uh, a better rate with that 25% down. But seeing more of that now uh, than ever, I would say lots of, uh, we already kind of touched on it, but lots of seller credits. We've seen those make a comeback. We haven't seen those for so many years, but uh, over the past year, they've, they've been everywhere. Uh, if you're doing a Fannie Mae uh, investment, a conventional transaction. Keep in mind that's going to be capped at two percent uh, of the sales price, but we've got those two percent credits uh, coming in all over the place. Which again, it's you're you know seven and a half at one point. Now that that seller is paying that point for you, and and you can take it down even deeper if you want, or or knock some off your down payment and closing costs. So we've seen that, and and you know again, kind of the outlook. No one, of course, has the crystal ball. Uh, we've all feel a little deflated on that topic lately. But the latest outlook is, you know, probably first quarter, uh, you know, 
probably, you know, end of fourth first quarter is when we're going to see these things start to turn around as far as mortgage rates are concerned. And really just kind of how overnight these seller credits made a rise and, and buyers had some power. As soon as these rates start to drop uh, as buyers, you're going to lose a lot of that power. Uh, you know, right away, as far as negotiations, uh, uh, the inventory is going to shrink even tighter than it is today. So, um, yeah, our, our accredited buyers, they're, they're not slowing down. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know, I have a single family rental fund in North Dallas and for, for totally selfish and personal reasons, I hope that mortgage rates don't come down this fall because we'll have competition. We don't have it right now. And we are getting properties for 50 cents on the dollar, but that's because of our relationships with wholesalers and um, builders that, you know, their, their construction costs have doubled and their mm -hmm. debt has doubled and they need to get out of projects. We're able to pick them up for very cheap. So right now uh, it's so good for our, our investors who are buying and for our rental fund. So yes, for selfish reasons, if it, if it's until Q1 of 2024, I'm okay with that because, again, in our fund, we're just paying cash. We're raising cash from investors, and, and we're not dependent on those loans. But, uh, you know, for, for first-time homebuyers, for them, I hope that rates do come down. And they will because the, the Fed is driving us, trying so hard to drive us into recession or at least into slowing down this economic train, and they'll get there. And when they do, that's when rates well, I mean, I can't imagine they wouldn't go down. That's how it works. Um, that, you know, that a lot of people don't understand that the, that the 30 year mortgage is tied to the 10 year treasury, which generally comes down in a recession. And so do, so do rates. So with that, with the idea that in the next two years, I think we can predict that we'll probably see mortgage rates down. Would you recommend a five, a seven, a 10 year arm versus a 30 year fixed? How, how different are the rates on those different kinds of loans? Well, the, the 30, the Fannie Mae arms have never shined really well uh, because of the margins. It's almost the same philosophy that uh, Wall Street has right now. They know even on the 30 year, they're going to experience an early payoff. And if they buy an arm, they know that's a guarantee. They're going to experience an early year payoff because people are trying to acquire these, these loans at a little bit lower rate on the five-year arms. But sometimes the margins that they provide on these arms versus the 30-year fixed, it, it's less than half. And so, yeah, I could probably reduce your rate a quarter of a percent, but it may cost you more because, as we referred to a minute ago, a point, it may cost you three points to get a quarter point reduction. Well, you might as well just do that same exercise over on the 30-year. So every now and then there's some credit unions, uh, some smaller banks, not really the big boys at this point. Sometimes people like to get in and out of the market with the arms, but I'd love to say we have a tremendous arm product. We have a bunch of arms. We have DSE arms. We have Fannie arms, but uh, right now the 30 year fix is still the premier product. Well, that's fantastic. In the event that rates don't come down, at least you're fixed. Correct. Exactly. But, uh, but it is again, my opinion that, you're probably going to be in your current loan for less than two to three years because you'll probably want to refinance into a lower rate. When when do you think it makes sense to refinance to a lower rate? Because you got all the fees, um, you've already you know you pay most of the interest at the front of the loan, so you don't really get to the print. Is that am I right on that? You don't really start paying down the principal till later. 
Yeah, oh, it's all front loaded for sure. I mean, you're paying mm-hmm. this much on principal every time. So in the two years, you probably paid it down a little bit. Now, one of the things that to advise your audience is that on a single family resident, if you refinance it, Fannie Mae will only let you allow to refinance a loan at 75% loan to value. If you put 20% down and a year from now you want to refinance it, well, that very small principal uh, payment on those at that 30-year amortization may not have paid it down that much. We, we let's just say there was no appreciation. We go out and appraise the property. It's the same as you, when you bought it, but I can only give you 75% loan to value. So consequently, you'd have to come to the table. Okay. But the rule of thumb is rates are important. Dollars and cents is still the most important thing. As an average, if you can see at least 100 to $150 improvement in your payment, it's worth it. I've run these numbers backwards and forwards over the last 25 years, and it's usually between a three and five year return when you do that. So if you think 100 to $150 in payment, and you're welcome to go on my website. We have calculators that can determine that. We will pull out publications to allow you to do that as well. Oh, that's great information. Exactly. Yeah. And, and essentially what we do there is, uh, you know, of course, we take into account the the lender fees that we'd be waiving on the refi, but we look at what is the what's the closing cost of this transaction going to be, include title fees and prepaid items, any state uh, required items. And if it's going to be, you know, three grand, but it's going to save them 150 bucks a month, let's do the math, find that break even. So it's all about evaluating, you know, current rate versus new rate, and then the cost that, that's going to be associated with doing that. And, and if it makes sense, yeah, typically the sweet spot's around uh, 150 bucks a month on on the typical investment uh, loans we see. Of course, if it's a larger loan, you, you want to want to see uh, you know some more savings than that for it to make it worth your while. Um, but yeah, it's all about that break even at the end of the day. Okay, final question. You hear a lot of people saying, oh, you know, there's liquidity leaving the market, which is exactly what the Fed is trying to do, trying to pull money out of the system through raising rates and having people buy less things. Uh, And we have heard stories about commercial real estate loans and banks not being as willing to lend. And people think that is transferring over to residential. Are you seeing any kind of reduction in liquidity, not able to give certain loans, um, or is it harder to get a loan? What, what's going on in the resi side versus commercial? Well, let's just go. There's two types of loans. There's the qualified mortgages, which is Fannie Freddie, and then there's the non-qualifying products. And those are typically in the investment world, the DSCR or commercial for you know big resi- or for big commercial properties. The commercial lending right now, yeah, it's a little, it's struggling a little bit simply because a lot of these loans that are on the commercial property, whether it be residential or, or uh, office buildings or whatever, they're on a variable rate. And with the Fed funds rate, that's starting to go up. So they're starting to feel a little bit of the pressure. But what I saw the other day on, on an article that the rents are still very strong, so that's helping them out a lot. Um, so what we're seeing, and I live in the DSCR world because I have more than 10 loans. And let me stop you there. DSCR okay. is debt service coverage ratio for those who don't know, which means that the lender is really looking at the income that the property produces um, more. I mean, they're looking at everything, but more than you, they're looking at the property. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Uh, the debt service is mainly geared for people that are outside the Fannie box like myself 
or I was dealing with a lady yesterday that her and her husband was working for a high tech company in Silicon Valley. And they just quit their jobs, and but they got a boatload of money. They got great credit, so they have to go with the DSCR. So the DSCR addresses a lot of different things. You know, the rates are a little bit higher, but that still falls into the commercial grade. So let's just back up a bit and let's go back to when COVID hit back in March of twenty. Everybody in this particular playing field left. Okay, the capital completely left. And it yeah. took about six or eight months for they to slowly coming back in. We're not seeing that right now, Kathy. We're not seeing any of those uh non-QM players starting to starting to hurt or any I haven't seen anybody left the playing field yet. Matter of fact, they're starting to grow. So that's a good thing. So I think capital's still pretty strong. Yeah, and, and we haven't, from a qualification standpoint, uh, on what it takes borrowers to get qualified for these uh, Fannie loans or the the non-QM, we haven't seen any. Uh, during COVID, we had several tightenings of, of kind of underwriting requirements, things like that, uh, as a lot of people's personal situation changes. But we haven't seen any of that uh, lately. It's just kind of our normal uh, bread and butter underwriting requirements. Um, with, of course, you know, the biggest impact being on on rate and, and terms that, that the borrowers are being offered. But as far as, uh, you know, debt to income qualifications, asset qualifications, uh, Fannie Mae has remained constant on, on all of that, which is helpful in a time like now. So, yeah, I mean, there's nothing easy, let's face it, about getting a loan these days. I admire you guys for that. The detail work you have to do to make sure that every single document is provided and is right and is perfect. We've just now got a file with all the stuff in it so that it's a little mm -hmm. bit easier, but there's exactly. always something more you all want. It's difficult no matter what, but worth it. Yep. Okay. Well, Aaron and Graham, thank you so much for joining me again here on The Real Wealth Show. So if you want to find out how to get in touch with uh, this, well, you guys really specialize in working with investors. Which is rare and very, very important. So how can people get a hold of you besides, of course, going to realwealth.com and clicking on the resources tab? You can always reach us at 855-326-6802, or you can email the entire team at the Parham team at Highlands Mortgage, which is T-H-E-P-A-R-H-A-M-T-E-A-M at highlandsmortgage.com. Somebody will respond to you immediately. Fantastic. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Hope to Same see you to soon. You. Thanks again, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you want to find out more about how you can find cash flow and growth markets, I mean, for example, parts of Tampa and parts of Dallas have seen 5 to 10% price increases this past year when other markets have seen 20, 30% declines. So knowing the right market is so important. We have those details and data at realwealthshow.com, along with referrals to teams in those markets who have helped our more than 70,000 members acquire investment property nationwide. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.